0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. hope everybody's having a beautiful day. It's Monday. we got a great guest for you today, an original thinker, an artist, a fighter, someone who is, uh, we were talking for a moment backstage and I just had to stop because we were getting into too much cool stuff. So (laughs) let me just introduce him for those who may not know, the one and only J.V. Torres. He's a multi-disciplinary digital creator who develops fiction podcasts, YouTube videos, writes books, directs films. And edits commercial videos. He's made some award-winning indie films. He's got an incredible audio drama. He's a musician. He's written books on language. It's going to be an awesome conversation. JV, how are you today?
1: I'm fine. Thank you for having me on your show. I was really looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, man, it's a real pleasure. It's it's one of those things when you start looking into somebody and you're like, wow, oh, I, I know a little bit about that. Oh yeah, I saw that. You know, and sometimes I'm often mesmerized by the way in which you can judge a book by its cover. I know you're not supposed to do it. I know you're not supposed to, but sometimes when you, when you start to look at that first page, you, you read the back cover, you go, this book's for me. And that's when I, when I look at your profile, man. You're doing so many cool things. How did you get your start? Maybe you can talk a little bit about what it is that you're, you're involved in and what you're doing now or however you want to begin, man. Just let me know your origin story a little bit.
1: Okay, sure. So for me, I, I think at the core of everything, I'm a writer. I've always been a writer I think okay. since I was a child you know I've always I was that kid who was like tugging on my mom's shirt to buy me a, a, a you know notebook and pens because I wanted to write stuff um I it was always my my passion was writing and as I got older I went to college I, I really had my heart set on being like a journalist or writing you know for the newspapers and I did at some point write for periodicals I did write for newspapers but that was <laughs> that just wasn't that wasn't going to cut it for me because I was, I was always like wanting to create something. And when you're writing for a newspaper, there is no creation. You're just reporting. I mean, maybe nowadays they do creation. But back <laughs> then, yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, well, yeah. Right. But back then, you know, it was more straightforward. So I knew that I wasn't going to make a living doing that. I just got into too many arguments with editors and whatnot. So um, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to probably teach until I figured out how to become an, a novelist or something like that. But uh, that again was was not something that I was that was not in my destiny to be like a big novelist uh, like you know like a Stephen King or anything like that. But that's uh, that's always where my heart has always been in writing. That's where it all began for me.
0: Yeah. So you know it's it's interesting when we talk about writing because I think it was uh, Samuel Clemens who said that the written word is the carcass of the spoken word. And for those people who have somehow conquered the ability to stand in front of a group and say what it is they have to say and can decorate it in a way that seems flowery. For those of us who have found a way to use our words to influence people, you know, it's. It's an incredible power, the spoken word. And when we look back through history, we see that governments and societies alike fear the charismatic speaker.
1: But there's something to be said for the written word as well. What's your yep. take on the spoken word versus the written word? Well, I mean, I could, I could speak to this a little bit because of my my, my background in mm-hmm. linguistics and language learning. Um, and that uh, there's a certain different there's 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 a different mental process that happens when you're having a, when you're actually mm. verbalizing your thoughts versus writing down your thoughts. There's, there's a that's why you can have a conversation with somebody who's illiterate, you know, and because there the, the the mental process is involved in in having a conversation is is less um, strain it's, it puts less strain on the brain actually. So, you know, when you when you sit down and write, that's why people, you know, are frustrated when they have to write something. because It's yeah. a whole different set of process. By the way, that, I think that was Mark Twain, right? I'm yes, kidding. yes. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It. i like to throw out the other names sometimes, right? Keep people thinking. <laughs> Don't kind of try to catch a writer like that, okay? Anyway. <laughs> so, um, no, going back to what we were saying about the whole process of writing is um, – uh, it is um, – you really have to be disciplined. And that's, and that's hard. that's a hard thing t- for writers to deal with because they're, they're, their thoughts are, are, are running like like fast trains. you know, they're running like fast cars and, and they can't seem to get their hands to write or type fast enough to how they're thinking. And so they start losing stuff. So that's why for me, I always tell writers, you, know, that's what they make voice note recorders for, man. <laughs> you hit the record button, you let your mind flow. You say all the ideas that you have, and you later on, you restructure it. You structure how you want the story to go, or you know whatever it is you're working on. I, I yeah. forgot what the original question was. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's it. We were just talking about the way in which writing is different from the spoken word, and and some tips and techniques. You know, sure. but it's I just,
1: it's, just a, it's just a matter of how the, how your thoughts flow. You know, and. and I'm I'm one of those people that I could I could sit down I can really write this I'm pretty disciplined now because I'm in my 50s. so I think I've I've learned the methods by now if I don't I should just hang it up but <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people need to to really learn how to discipline themselves it's it's not an easy thing it's 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 a very very complicated thing for depending on the individual I mean there's some people that just do this by nature right. they just do sure this. Uh, but there are other people that struggle with it and they can be extremely talented but if you're not disciplined. That talent's gonna go to waste.
0: Yeah, you had mentioned that in in one of your writings. I was reading. You had talked about as you learned at an earlier age as a musician that talent, while incredibly useful and powerful, it doesn't always translate into success because sometimes the most talented people can't make that jump. They can't have the discipline behind them, or they just get burned out. Like maybe you can unpack that quote a little bit.
1: Well, I could I could speak to that as, as yeah. far as, music. I mean, you know, you were talking about earlier about you're asking me about the whole writing aspect of it. No, yeah, I did. Because I'm one of those people, I'm, I, you know, I need to have satisfaction now. I just do. So music for me was, was that vehicle. Like I could, I could write a song and I could go play in this little bar somewhere, or, you know, some open mic night and have people in the crowd, or, you know, mostly other musicians, yeah. but it doesn't matter who was out there. As long as there are bodies out there. And if you're performing, you're getting that instant gratification right? Yep. So uh, um, for me, like that's the, the whole the whole aspect of being able to get something at, at the moment that you want to. Like some people can be real patient about it. You can write a book. And I'm, listen, I've been working on a novel for so long. I think I forgot how many years I've been working on it. Okay. But uh, a song is something different. You can literally write a song on the spot. I used to play in a band um where we would improvise songs right on stage you know and and so that was the that was the 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 part about the success you know where you can be it doesn't matter like i was in a bar in some band somewhere in maryland or in miami and playing a song and people just dancing and killing and i don't know where i've heard this song before this is great i'm like uh i just made it up you know (laughs) <laughs> I just made it up on the spot. Like, was like I'm like, you know, it, blame me, you're, you're drinking too much. <laughs> yeah, but going back to that. So it, it, like for me, that is success. Like when you're in a place and you're and you got the whole crowd, like literally just singing along with you and they're dancing and they're just feeling the energy and it's like raw. And it's like great. And I'm like just loving it. It's like, man, I wish I could go back sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> writing is different. Yeah writing is very different writing is 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 where you know sometimes you're you're almost petrified that someone's going to read it I mean and I know I'm, I'm sure you had to write sure. in your life where they don't want you to read what they have like why are you writing it if you don't want anybody to read it I mean just let me read what you got you know let me see what's going on in that head of yours um, and so at, you have to measure success a lot differently depending on the writer. I mean, there's some people that just put a lot of crap out there, believe me, um, and, and they don't care if you're telling them it's crap. They're just, they're just happy that it's on some platform. And then you have people that uh, really are diligent and they're really meticulous about every word. And it means a lot to them that you know, when you read it, that it's in that form that they wrote it. You know? So it really, uh, success is really up to the individual. It depends on what your expectations are.
0: Yeah, that's really well put. And I I know we're jumping around in mediums a little bit. <laughs> it's funny that I bring up the word medium because I, there's a great book by, um, of course, I'm going to blank on it. Marshall McLuhan, who wrote the book, The Medium is the Message. And he talks about the spoken word versus the written word. He talks about hot mediums versus cold mediums. And a hot medium would be something like film or a commercial or Something on social media, something that goes directly into your brain without you having to really critically think about it. A colder medium would be like a book or maybe an audio program where you yourself take that information in and then you create the story on the lens of your mind and you get to make the story versus something that's already kind of pre-made for you, like a prefab house a little bit. Right. And I'm it's it's interesting to think about those two modalities while you're in the aspect of creation. Like, and I'm curious you know, how, as, as I'm just talking, I, I never really thought about that when I was writing and, and doing things. But now that I say about it, I, I should be thinking about that. Like the way, like a chef thinks about the way in which the person is going to eat their food. Mm-hmm. So too, should we as creators think about the way people are going to consume our products. Do you, do you think about that when you're writing or making
1: these things that you're doing? Sure. Um uh, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a crap shoot because you think that they're going to react a certain way, and then right? You, don't. <laughs> you get a completely different reaction like, well, okay, I didn't see that one coming But then you had something like this morning like this morning I, I made a really quick video for for YouTube and it was I knew that it was a hot button It, uh, it was titled the five most under the five most overrated music acts so it's it's really general, and I knew that no matter who I put on this list, that it's going to get somebody riled up and say, "Well, right. why is this guy saying that?" And you know, <laughs> I didn't expect their instant reaction. I really didn't. I think you know, well, you know, it might get some treading after a couple of days, or maybe after a couple of weeks. You know, you know, sometimes these videos take a while to get right. any kind of traction. But no, this one got one right away, and I was getting phone calls from my friends. I'm like, "Yeah, hey, I saw that video. Well, you were spot on, but I don't agree with this." And it's like, really. I mean, I you can you can you can try to think about how people are going to consume the media that you produce, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you're kind of at the mercy because you really don't know. I mean, listen, I don't have the luxury of, of using algorithms and having all this like social media, um <laughs> like these 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 machines, these these, right. these mechanisms that kind of drive reaction. I don't have that. I don't know if you do. I don't. I don't don't have have, it, I don't got any of that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. I can't dictate how someone will react to anything that I produce. So, on on that, on that, on that wave, I don't really think that much about how people. I mean, I do. Don't get me wrong. But I'm. I'm less concerned with because if if I'm that concerned about it, I'm probably going to hold off. Yeah you know, I mean, I'll wait on something and I've been known to wait and sit on something for a very long time. And people are like, are you ever going to release XYZ? I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm just, uh, I'm not sure how people are going to react to this. You know? Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's fascinating to me. I love to get to hear the way in which people that are doing things I admire, think about the project they're creating. I think it's not only fun for me to listen to, but I think it provides a lot of value for anybody that's listening to to what we have to say. It's, a really cool insight when you when you get to see into the minds of a different creator and you know one of the first things that i when i first started looking at your stuff was this audio drama that you're coming out and i'm not sure people understand what an audio drama is so maybe before you get into the meat and potatoes of it maybe you could explain maybe how
1: it came to be and like what an audio drama is so an audio drama is essentially a uh, a movie for your mind with where you don't it. with your ears. You don't really, you're not actually watching anything, but you're listening and your mind is active. It's just as if you were, your mind is producing this, this film in your head. And so for me, when, when I put together the the rise of King of Silas, I wanted it to be a cinematic experience. I wanted the listeners to feel like they were sitting in a movie theater and, and watching this dystopian, Story unfold and really the horrors of it because it is uh, I've I've been told everything that it's a horror to the satire, but you know you were you were mentioning something earlier and I wanted to touch on it, but you were you were yeah. on uh, and you were talking and it was uh really uh just kind of going a little bit back about the whole reaction thing yeah um I don't necessarily write this is the one thing about. <laughs> this is the one thing about the audio drama, the rise of King of Silas is at the end of the day, I kind of, I've kind of produced this show for myself if that, and I know that sounds very selfish, but I, I kind of do. And one of the reasons is because I'm, I'm such a student of Shakespeare. I absolutely mm. love Shakespeare. And I don't expect anyone else to, you know, I don't expect anyone. Most time, most people study Shakespeare in high school, probably dread it. I don't know. But, um, I absolutely love Shakespeare. I, I, I study him so much, and I want to emulate what he does so much that I actually try to create some of this in the in the in the audio drama. Like there are, <laughs> it's very Shakespearean in a lot of ways. Some of the characters and some of the things that take place, the the wording that I use, um, it's just I I'm, I'm blessed, I guess, that that people actually get it. That some people really like the characters. There, there's some characters that, that they like more than others. I think. There's a lot. Of, I've created this story to, to be a completely gray area on purpose. It wasn't like I just accidentally, oh, Goofy just decided to do this. And just by chance. No, no. This was all well thought out, planned. And these characters, these characters behave and say the kinds of things that they say because they're all following into a certain pattern that I've, that I've designed from way before. It's, 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 I wanted to, for this, for the listener to experience the show in such a way that they're just, they're just watching, in their minds, they're just watching this thing unfold, and they're seeing all this, and they're, and they're questioning, you know, just (laughs) how far we can go as a, as a human race, how, how deep down into the sewers can we really get, And and if you can ask, if you, if at any point you ask that question in this series, then I've done exactly what I what I set out to do. Yeah,
0: that's an amazing, it's an amazing pathway for people to to see. And I love the idea of tying the past to the future and telling it in a story form that, you know, in some ways, when I think of of King of Silas, that there's a lot of like the hero's journey in there as well. You know, a lot of like it seems like not only Shakespeare, but maybe you've tied some of the themes or some of the characters arc towards like a Joseph Campbell
1: sort of a routine. Like that was like, did you also incorporate some mythology in there? Well, I mean, that was, that was the, you know, I try to keep the classic motifs as deeply uh, obscure as possible, but it's just unavoidable. Uh, Is there a hero's journey? I don't know. I think to me, as is a, is a kind of the anti-hero. And a lot of and all his band of merry men are as well. And as as you branch outward is where you really start to when when this when you fan out in the in the in the scope of characters in this show, you start reaching for you know okay is this person a good person is this guy a person is she a good person it's Mm -hmm. like where do we where do we find the good people, and and to me that's more of a modern motif in that when we're looking at our own society and we're looking into our own homes or jobs or wherever we are, how far out do we have to fan out to find the good people? Because sometimes we can look in the mirror and then question whether or not we are how good are we? You know, I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm Christian. So I'm constantly asking myself this question. It's like, am I really a good person? Am I really, am I really, am I? And, And so I, I, you know, I, I have to incorporate that into the characters of the show. It's, I, I just, you know, as a writer, you always do with the characters you create. Um, I think we're all looking for redemption. The king in the story is looking for redemption. I think a lot of people, a lot of characters in the show are always looking for redemption. And then once in a while, you come across a character that they're not into this for any redemption. I think the further out you branch, the the less the less you're, the less they're going to find people. The more likely you're going to find people that. Aren't trying to redeem anything. They're just trying to live. The, the closer you are to the center of the evil, <laughs> the you know the the, the more you're going to find people that want to redeem themselves. Those that have any shred of goodness left in them. And and further out you go, people are just living their lives. You know, they just they just want to pay their bills. They just want to go to work and go home and be with their kids and watch their shows. And they don't want to be bothered with any of that stuff. Why would they? You know. So. That to me is, you know, you're talking about motifs. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you would in, in this in the classic sense, when you're talking about mythology, there's there's everything is compounded. Everything means more. Every move the hero makes has ripple effects. That's not the case here. I mean, there is in, in terms of the king, but the further away you get from the king, the less you're gonna find that. And I think that's where the real people, where we are as as individuals, as as just regular people working and living people that are not involved in the government, people that are not involved in these big corporations. Uh that's where that's where we are. We're on the outside looking in.
0: Yeah, it's deep. You know, I um it makes me think that <laughs> Well, I'm <just> trying to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good it's a good sign. I'm trying to think of the right way to to phrase this question and it's it seems to me that When, when you write a story or when you begin a project, sometimes people have a storyboard. Sometimes people have an understanding of how the story is going to end up. But there's a lot of stories where the person creating the vision, creating the, the pathway, they're unsure of what's going to happen in the future. Like they, they kind of create as they go. Did sure. you have one, did you have, is one of those styles yours? Do you have a, do you, ha, do you know where this is going to end up? Or is it just kind of, you're figuring it out
1: as you go. As, and you're kind of becoming that character. Well, okay. So this is writing 101 uh, for me, as I right. tell the other writers, uh, I don't start at the beginning. I start at the end and work my way back. Uh, okay. Because it, it, it's always easier to write when you already know how the story ends versus starting a story and not knowing where it ends. It could be end or you don't know where you'll end up. And I think a lot of writers get stuck in that, where they start writing the story because they had this idea of, oh, this is a great idea. This guy finds this magic potion and, and then he doesn't know where he's going or where she's going with the story. And so they could be sitting and wrestling with this months later. So I don't do that. I start with the ending. I already knew how this story of King of I was going to end before I even started writing it. Like I already knew where this was going to end. So. It made it easier for me to find those points. You know, I already knew where Z was, so I just had to find A, B, C, and all the way down the line until I got there. Now the only the only the only thing that came up was I wanted to end I wanted to end the series a little earlier, right? But I was enticed to keep it going, (laughs) to go a little longer. And I'm like, I'm gonna I was I wanted to end it on five, and I'll tell you why five. Okay. That's again not a coincidence because five is the penta you know is five is this number of the you know they were <laughs> the pentagram you know so there's a lot of symbolism in this story there's a lot of demonic symbolism symbolism in fact and i don't think i've even mentioned i don't know why people have asked me about the logo have you ever thought about that logo that i made that symbol and not i haven't given a whole lot of thought I mean, people like it. People buy it on, put it on their t-shirts. They put it on their mugs. They have no idea what it is. <laughs> it is essentially three sixes. That's what it is. Mm. If you look at the three spikes, it goes one way. Then it goes a second way. And then it goes up there. It's three, it's three sixes. It's the sign of the beast with the crown in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's 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 so much about this story that I think people just goes right over their heads. I mean, and why <laughs> they're not thinking like that. And, and I don't expect them to, you know, unless somebody tells them or somebody points it out to them, they won't get it. Like, they'll just be like, oh, it's just, you know, this guy killing this guy. And, and there's there's these bombs and there's, there's all this war going on. And, and that's fascinating. And it's like it's, it's thrilling because it's like an action. It's like an action movie. It's like. All this like action, you know, it was like, this guy's trying to go, oh, that's the bad guy. He's got to get yeah. him, you know, he's gonna shoot him, he's gonna kill him. And so there's all that going on, and you don't you don't get the symbolism. And that's kind of how the world is. If you think about mm. it, if you think about the Google um, the Google lo- logo, that also looks like the triple six. Um, there's a number of symbols that, that could be Referred to as demonic or satanist or something like that, it just right in front of us, all of us. And we just look at, we just have to look at some of the logos for some of the corporations, some of the companies we buy stuff from. Like an Apple, right? With the bite out of the apple from the Garden of Eden. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, there's, there's sim- these people at this at this high level, that's how they think, and they and they put these symbols in their in their marketing campaigns. They put it on their products. They put it on their you know, and, and they put it out, and people just like. Oh well, you know they don't even think about it. Why would they? <laughs> so King Solomon is no different. Believe me, there's I load this thing with symbolism. Not just in the in the logo, and not just in these things visually, but there's things in in the actual script. There are things in the words that are said. There are things that the lines that are the characters say. These are all I, I've I've sat and thought about this for years, and so that's one of the the things that I'm most proud of about this show. I mean, it's it's not. It's not like one of those giant mega corporate pushed shows and I don't get millions and millions of people listening, but I do get a lot of people to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's like, I'm not that concerned with the people that, that getting the millions of people to listen to it. If they listen to it, great. I'm more concerned with the people that are listening to it actually get it. And the ones that actually get it, I've, I've gotten some really weird, strange emails and DMs from people that think they got it. And they're and they're questioning me on this, like, were you going about that? Were you talking about this? Did you mean that? And I'm like, really? Um, no. <laughs> but you're, you're in the right neighborhood. Let's keep going.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I think there was a, I forgot who came up with this quote, but it was something along the lines of, the person that creates the story gives life to a story of its own and sometimes when you create something people begin to embrace that story in a way in which you never thought possible and we think about symbolism you know symbolism as a language is deep because how can you your definition of a symbol may be completely different than the definition of my symbol, even though it's the same symbol. And that's going to lead to two completely different experiences, yeah. which is the beauty of a story because someone can see the antihero as, hey, that person's just like me, you know, and, and I can embrace it. Look, at, they're a hero, you know, or even if you look at our culture, I'll give you an example of the way in which stories and symbolism have been violently flipped on their head ever since I was a kid. When I was growing up, the cops, was a good guy. When I was growing up, the, the guy in the white hat was a good guy. And as I kind of made it through my teenage years, all of a sudden the cop became the bad guy,
1: guy, you know,
0: you know, and it's like, yeah. and, And like, that was a product of the way in which symbols and stories were interpreted to people through film and music. And in my opinion, I think it was sort of a, a narrative push. Like, I think that there was a sort of, you know, um, authentic sort of a a push behind it to make that happen you know whether it was to get movie ratings whether it was to get people to say oh wow look at this or to be different whatever the reason was you you saw that happening and so i just it's fascinating to me to understand and begin to try and and look at the world of symbology because some of these symbols have been around forever like if you look at the 666 or you look at the pyramid with the eye in there or you look at the ring of saturn around you know the toyota symbol the saturn symbol that ring is around everything but it comes back to saturn worship depending on who you ask those those (laughs) symbols are so powerful right like and they're ingrained in us so you if you believe that your parents knew something about it your grandparents knew something about it and now you know something about it like it's almost
1: like a a, whole saturn (laughs) crazy right it is wild it's wild uh you know you you're right uh, there there the symbolism uh is it, it can be it, but it can lead you down a rabbit hole and sure. sometimes it's on purpose like a wild goose chase yeah but i think you, you were you mentioned earlier about um kind of like you you write things with with a certain like symbolism but sometimes i think i've written things and accidentally it it came Sort of true (laughs) in the show. (laughs) I'll I'll give you the biggest example. Yeah, please. please. I I wrote. I would always write those the episodes. I always write them like in the summer, right? Okay. And so I would produce the show during during the fall, etc. So you know when April rolls around or March rolls around, I mean these shows have already been they were written months ago and they were produced you know months ago recorded months ago whatever. So when they finally come out. You know, if, if something just happens to be lined up with whatever is going on, <laughs> it's just a coincidence. Or you know, you read whatever you want to. And to, but the biggest one for me, I think, was when uh, there was a, a pestilence uh, that was that was happening. It was, it was a, yeah, there was um, disease, a plague, that was supposed to hit the world and as part of the tribulations, right? Mm-hmm. And that started of all places in China. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> and I think the I even think that I mentioned the city Wuhan. Mm. Yeah, and this was before this was before COVID. So you can imagine the people that were emailing me at that point. It's like, what? What did you? What insight did you? How did you know? Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, listen, I did not know. <laughs> right. I am not part of the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a stooge for for these these elitists. I believe me. I, I the whole point of the show is to destroy them. <laughs> I don't think they would write a show or even produce or even promote a show that would be, you know, glorifying the destruction of them. So, anyway, you no, know, it's fascinating. I
0: I don't really believe in coincidences, man. I, I think that. There's something bigger that's guiding us. And sometimes when things I once heard a great quote that said something along the lines of a coincidence is what you get when you apply a bad theory. And I yeah. think as us as humans, like we, we just don't have the cognitive horsepower to thoroughly understand what's happening. We get really uncomfortable when we we say, Oh, we, we don't know what it is. So we try to make things up that make sense. But if you the one thing that we seem to always get right throughout history is that we get it wrong. Like the planets are not in glass cases. We're not the center of the universe. You know, like there's all these things that we always get wrong. And if you can look back at our history and go, wow, we get it wrong a lot. Then it kind of brings up the question. Why would we have it right we're now? Wrong about now.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, exactly. We're wrong now. Probably a lot, probably more than <laughs> most we, we of can it really think about. We're probably right. wrong about everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a great
0: point. And, and so if that's the case, you know, why wouldn't some of the things that you write or any any writer or creator that's really tapping into that to that flow state or that person that's really tapping into something, that's that probably has as much truth to it as anything else, right? Like if you're tapping into something that you believe in and it's flowing through you in this state, I mean, there's a good chance that some of that what you're putting out there could happen in the future or is true for you, right? You ever you ever get that feeling?
1: Sure. And I think there was an argument made about Nostradamus too that you know for all of it for every quatrain he got right, he had a thousand that were wrong. Totally. Yep. Well, so, I mean you can I, I I don't quite have that many. You know, I do have there's a number of them. I've had people call me or I've had people email me and say, You scared the living daylights out of me. Man. <laughs> I, I have a nightmare oh, awesome. of you. I'm like You're having nightmares because of me or you're having nightmares because what I wrote is too close to the truth or is too real and because you're looking out your window and you're like, you know what? That could possibly happen, and I'm scared. I don't think you're scared because of something I wrote. I think you're scared about the reality that it could happen. Okay, so
0: well, this brings up a good point, JV. A lot like – you know, I think there was a – there's a great book by – damn it, I can't think of the guy's name. um, (laughs) We'll come back to you. Yeah, it'll come back to me. Well, Samuel but- Clemens, I think. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm listening I'm to like, you. I'm going like sticking you with that one. Yeah, I know you have to. You have to. It's a. It is. Um. Gosh damn it! The book's called Propaganda, and okay. in that book, the in that book, they talk about um. Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays wrote this well, book that's called a hard Propaganda. One to remember, okay. It is in your defense. It's a hard in- one to. Remember you know, the way I remember it is that I just go, oh yeah, his great-grandson is like the CEO of Netflix. So, okay, did the Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree? It's you know so what I mean? <laughs> right? a terrible, so, well, well, the reason I bring up that book is that there's a lot of people, whether they're in authority or whether they're in a corporation or whether they're in your household that really try to control the narrative because the words people speak, and, you know, I think it was... Uh, I think it was in the Nazi regime. They talked about the bigger the lie, the more people believe it. And if you mm-hmm. look at some of the propaganda that comes out of the television or propaganda that comes out of the radio, it doesn't matter what country you're in. The propaganda is everywhere. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's people desperately trying to control the narrative. And who do they turn to but the authors, the filmmakers, the people yeah. that can get people to believe things. And so oh, when yeah. someone calls you and is like, hey, JV, you're scaring the hell out of me what what like first off that's great writing if you if your words can do that for somebody congratulations that's that's beautiful that's how it should be but it's it's possible if your words can begin to influence people where they believe things can happen and they're scared well that means you're someone who can control the narrative and if enough people begin believing a narrative. It's not too far before that thing you write becomes the truth. It's like that self fulfilling prophecy. Sure. What you write, what you speak into existence, what you write into existence can become true. And I think there's a lot of people pushing to keep stuff down that they don't want out there. But sure. it's a beautiful process, man.
1: Well, yeah. And you know, I, if the more you really poke the bear, the more they're likely they're going to try to cancel you or make it very difficult for you. And uh, unless you're really big, like Tucker Carlson, you're not going to get another chance. Yeah. So, I mean, a little small guy like me, I don't think they really care much about. I'm probably on their watch list anyway, but yeah, you know, it's, I'm just nobody to them. Now, if I got to a elevated to another level, you know, to where like I'm um, doing like a Quentin Tarantino style film or something like that, then, you know, I might, you know, become a little bit more of a nuisance, but I'm really not not that much of a I'm not even a blip on the radar to be honest with you but that doesn't mean that you know two thousand other jvs out there collectively writing stuff along the same lines or whether i influence other writers to do the same thing and i, I think i have sure to some degree um yeah that could be a problem for for the powers that be because they want to control the narrative as you say they want to they want to have people in this in this cage for their minds you know to quote the, the matrix this um this, this idea that whatever comes out of that tube, that TV screen is, is the gospel. Uh, no, it isn't. And I think there's a lot of pushback right now. I think we're noticing and we're seeing it now where people are just they're just not they're just not accepting it because, you know, you can you can put a bow on a turd. It's still a turd. <laughs> you can not even spray the room with perfume. It's still a plate of turd, and and people are just going to see for what it is. And it doesn't matter how many talking heads you got on TV, you're all singing the same song in unison. You know, anybody with half a brain, and I, you know, I think as this is why they work on the youth so much. You know, because they can't get us older guys like that. They just can't. We're we're not we're not cut from the same you know, uh, assembly line that these young people are coming out of. They're, they're coming out of a different factory than you and I did. So they're pre-programmed, you know, they're already going to, they're going to come into this adulthood and, 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 and go venture. And they're already going to be accepting all this stuff. And by the time you and I get too old to do anything about it, it's going to be too late. So, I mean, the only thing I could tell, you know, the younger generations is please, for the love of God, <laughs> could you please not take all this, propaganda and call it gospel because it isn't. You need to start questioning everything. You need to question everything. I mean listen, Shakespeare was able to pull it off where the guy could write a story, do a play where he's making fun of the queen, <laughs> put on the show for the queen and have her give him a standing ovation. This is why I admire Shakespeare, because he could do that. He was he was clever enough to do that. You just gotta find clever people that can pull it off. That's all. I believe I'm one of them. I'm going to keep trying. That's why I do films, because yeah. I'm going to I'm going to poke the bear, but not in such a way where I want him to turn around and try to whack the head off my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> and even if he does, you put up a big fight, and everyone's going to come and watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Well, sure, but you know, I want to keep poking him. I don't want that to, to be the last time I poke him. You know, right. I want to keep poking him. So right. uh, I want to poke him at such a distance that he won't be able to swipe me and take my head off. so this brings up this other idea that i had
0: if we look at like generational stories you know there's a great book called the fourth turning and in that book they talk about the different generations and what each generation kind of went through and what they were brought up in and and as an exer i look back at all of the propaganda and all of the ideas that were given to our generation you know you had like top gun or you had this yeah aren't you (laughs) yeah well you know we we had a uh We had a big push, I think, in the Gen X for like anti-authority. Like we were pretty big on anti-authority. We were pretty big for stand up for what you believe. And like I remember a book, I remember a movie called Stand and Deliver. You know what I mean? And we were like, that was a great movie. But if you look back at like The Breakfast Club, or you know, um, there was all these movies where the individuals stood up and fought against odds that were ridiculous. Yeah, but that was you know, the great American hero, like Knight Rider, like everything we grew up on was about one person standing up and making a difference. Cause like, that was what the Xers were taught. Like, this is what you do. You stand up and you fight. Yeah. You might get smacked down, but you get up and you go again. You know, you look at maybe the boomer generation who on some level, you know, they were, they had a, it seems to me that they had things pretty much given to them. Not all of them. I'm not saying all the boomers did. Don't get mad at me, boomers. But I'm saying that you know their parents gave them a lot. And even if they failed, they could run back to their parents. And most boomers did. So it. But now you look at the boomer generation and they're beginning to die off in a way. And so too are their ideas. And so you have the Xers people like you, people like me that are standing up and kind of fighting the system. And you have this next generation coming and it's kind of being taught different things. So if if, I, if we just pan out a little bit and you look at the generations, the way they were taught, and you see it as a giant story, that's what this book, The Fourth Turning, kind of does. It says, look at this giant story. Look at the way it's unfolding. Look at this character arc. Okay, These guys are coming of age now and they're going to be anti-authority. Isn't it fascinating to think that we're coming up and being handed the torch Right when the system is being taken down, it's almost as if guys like us, girls like us, the X generation was specifically taught a certain set of skills to be where we are now, whether it's creating the king of Silas, whether it's making indie films, whether it's being a podcaster. But it seems like we were brought up for this, right?
1: It does feel that way. I know that you know I was influenced by people in my life that were very rebellious. Yes. Very, very rebellious to the to the point of violence, I think. Of <laughs> I've never been a violent guy, but uh I can certainly appreciate the 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 fascination that people have with violence. And and that's the thing about King of is it is a very violent story. Yeah. If you listen to that show, it is it is riddled with violence of all sorts, gruesome stuff. And and I, you know, I've never actually, I mean, I grew up around boxers, so, I mean, that's about the extent of violence that I have experienced personally as a, as a boxer, you know, in my younger years, but inflicting that kind of pain on someone is something I don't think I can do. I don't have the heart to do it.
0: Oh, I lost you there for a sec. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about when we come to the idea of violence. You know, I I think about the way in which people in my generation were taught that, hey, sometimes you got to fight. You know, I think of the Brady Bunch. Remember Bobby had to go and defend Cindy at the world when he went to school and there was like a bully there that was trying to like talk a lot of smack to Cindy. He went home and his dad taught him how to fight. And he went to school and he beat that kid up. But it seems to me the younger generation, the idea of violence is being – violently stripped away from them. Like you cannot have any sort of violence. But if I look back at that particular motif that's put out on the papers, it's put out on television, it's put out on radio, this idea that there could be no violence, it sounds like a sort of, you know, administration that's scared. It sounds like an authority that's like, hey, we got to stop these people from being violent. Why? Because they might kill us. Like, I think that there's a reason that we have for so long decided to take violence out of the class. We've decided to say violence is not okay by any means. Like that is a narrative that's being pushed because the people in positions of authority do not want violence. It's not that they don't want your kid to get hurt. It's not that they don't want there to be fights at school. It's that they don't want your kids to grow up and be like, these people are burning me. I'm going to go down to my local politician, have a few words with that knucklehead. Hey, I'm going to go down to the center square and have a few words with these knuckleheads. I think that that is the reason they're taking violence out of them. JV, I lost you there for a sec.
1: Yeah, I don't know what happened. My internet's fine. poking the bear too much. I think the CIA (laughs) kicked off at me for things I'm saying. (laughs) Maybe you're bigger than you thought, man. Apparently, they're watching everything I'm doing.
0: (laughs) You know, I was just telling the people, it seems like this, we were talking about propaganda and violence. And it seems to me that, you know, in the last 20 years, there's been a real big push for, hey, we don't want violence. And that sounds like a narrative to me. That sounds like people in positions of authority panicking trying to make sure that the next generation of kids will not be violent
1: you know it's it's what do you think about that as a narrative these are things that are primal in us man they cannot right. be suppressed they cannot Agreed. so um <laughs> anyone who thinks that is 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 a fool i mean <laughs> I'm sorry, but these government agencies who are trying to do these experiments—some people—they just keep falling flat on their face. Okay, they get okay, so they get some some really good, you know, data out of it, and you know they they get write all this down for you know that's how they got ultra it was that MK Ultra and all these other weird LSD sure. drug things that they've done to people. Okay. But you still you're not oh, so so the objective was to have a more violent society or what because that's what we got we got a what <laughs> we got a much more violent society I think than we've ever had I mean I wasn't around in the sixties I mean I'm I could pick up a book and read about it or watch old reels about it but and I know it was I know there were race wars back in the sixties I know there were race wars in the seventies is it is it really is that what we're talking about here I mean what are we talking about here I don't know. I it seems to me like like what do they really want? I mean, I think it's I think it's it's a fair question to ask. What the what the heck does the government want from its people? They want
0: them fighting. They want people fighting each other so they don't pay attention to all their money being stolen.
1: Okay. Opinion. Well, I think we all know just how big the the national debt is. We know how much money has been stolen. Do we?
0: Uh oh they're breaking down jv over there man they're shutting him down i don't know when it comes to money listen people they they're breaking it down over here so when it comes to money in the government i don't know that we know how much is stolen does anybody really know how much a trillion dollars is could you no no one in here can tell me what a trillion dollars is like it sounds like a big number a billion is a big number but i i can't fathom a trillion i can't fathom a billion you know it's it just seems crazy that's twice, JV They're coming for you
1: They're coming for me, man They're coming for me <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> If you guys are worried about me, you got big problems, man
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know, man So we left off on the government knows how much money they're spending But, but do they, like, do they really know? Do they really care?
1: I don't think, I, look I, I don't think they know, okay? Right I think that they think they know, and they're certainly convinced themselves that they know. And this is quite evident in the fact that they keep failing and failing, yeah. and failing. Uh Any Anybody who's ever worked at a government agency or has worked for the government, we know the government is a very inefficient machine. Okay? They just are. Everything that they touch, everything that they do is inefficient. Uh, they're... They wasteful spending and they have incompetent people running the agencies or running whatever departments. They're just incompetence all up and down the chain. So <laughs> I think we're putting a little bit too much credit there. And then somehow they – well, I'm sure they have some some big brains in there somewhere, but they're sure. also probably pretty greedy, you know, and they have some kind of malfeasance in their blood where they're, 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 their end goal is always going to be uh, – to the detriment of its citizens. It just it always seems to be. It, that's, the, that's the reason why I, I don't trust the government. That's why I don't, I, don't, I don't trust the government because they consistently have shown me as just a regular Joe citizen, they consistently show me that uh, they don't care what happens to their people. They don't care because if they did, they would make the hard decisions that, ne- that are necessary to preserve our way of life. And it seems like at every turn, they just continuously change policies. They, they pass laws, and they're only enriching their buddies, and they're only making life more difficult for us out here we are just trying to get to work and home and pay our bills. And it just it, – it, it, there has to be some other motive. And this is why, you know, one of the things that about – I'm going to just jump back to the King of Silas. Yeah, for just man, please. 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 In the, in the season one of the show – the king is trying to make an alliance with China, right? Because the king realizes that the only way he's going to rid America of these evil people that are doing all the things that you and I are just now talking about, <laughs> the only way to get rid of them is if he kills them. And the only way he kills them, he has to real, he has to, he's going to need people from outside this country because they're not all here; they're all yeah. over the world. Okay. So he wants to make this alliance with China in the Middle East, right? And the Chinese president comes and visits the king at his castle, and I, I build the castle in the center of the, of the country in Kansas, okay? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. in center of Kansas, right? Because he's like, you know, if I want to be anywhere, I'm going to be right smack in the middle of the country where it's the, the hardest to get to me. Anyway, so the king, uh, so, the, so the Chinese president goes and visits him there at the castle in Kansas, and and it's at that meeting where, you know, the, the, the Chinese president is like, OK, well, you know, I've outlined all these things that I want you to do. And he's like, I'm the king. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell me what to do. I'm the king, you know. And he's and he's like, no, uh, I don't think you understand. You're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. And he goes. And the king is like, listen, if you really thought you're going to come into my castle and tell me what to do, you're not going to walk out of here alive. Right. And so the the Chinese president says, listen, I got 15 nukes pointed right at this castle. If I don't walk out of here in 15 minutes, nobody's going to walk out of here alive, not you, nor me, (laughs) or anybody else. Right? So at that point, the king realized, oh, hes He took his gun out, man. He pointed it right at me, cocked it, and pointed it right up between my eyes. Right? And he says, Okay, fine. You will line it up what you said, whatever it is you want. You know, he's like, Good, that's much better. He goes, And uh, I'm gonna walk out of here now <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to you soon. He goes, Oh, well, I have no doubt we will talk again soon, right? But this is this is the alliance that the king had to the king of America had to make with China. He knew that it was a bad deal, but he had to make it in order to get to what he wants, which is to get rid of the elitist who he refers to, the Illuminati who he refers to as the monster group, right? Mm-hmm. I figured I'd give him a simple name that was appropriate. There were yeah, monsters. yeah, yeah. Um, and if you look at American politics now, it's really not that different. I mean, oh, yeah. literally, our, our, our Secretary of State is over in China right now as you and I are talking, and I'm he's having trouble with, with President Xi, and President Xi is telling him, okay, this is what we're going to do, this is what we want to do, and this is what we want you to stay out of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're this to America, man, right? So, how, how you know is it art imitating life, or is it life imitating art? You tell me.
0: Well, I think it's what what Robert Plant would say: the song remains the same, you know. And it's just look at Shakespeare, look at The Merchant of Venice, look at all of these particular stories that have happened forever. And if you, you know, it it seems to me that. There's a there's a line there used to be I don't know this but I'm just saying it's at least I thought this I thought that there was a line between government and corporations. And if you look at what what we see now is it's I think it was John Dewey who said government is the shadow cast upon people by business. And when you start looking at the world like a giant sort of corporate structure, you know, you can even look at some of the Rockefeller's writings where they talk about you know, let's find a way to sub to make government subservient to business because we can run things better. You can hear Tim Cook talk about, "Hey, Apple's much more efficient than the government." You know, but is he really saying that corporations should run the world? And the the problem that I think some of these egomaniacs that are CEOs <laughs> have a problem with is like, "Hey, dummy, when you get rid of the government, you become the government, dummy. So you're gonna yeah. be the exact same thing." But People, I can't imagine. Okay, so that being said, I've, I've made it very simple. I'm sure that there's tons of moving parts. I'm sure that the people struggling to control supply chains in Ukraine have contracts with every other pieces, other other players around the world to make sure that those economies keep being economies in first world countries. And if you lose that supply chain, your country goes to third world status. So they're willing to do whatever they need to do in order to keep the people from revolting. But the story gets so convoluted and gets so crazy that it doesn't even make sense. I think it's better off you know, breaking down in some level. And I, I don't know if that's kind of a shotgun out the back door, but yeah, I don't see how our government or any other governments can continue to move down the path they're moving on Without there being some sort of a revolution, and if you look at France, if you look at the uprisings in the Middle East, if you look at all the cities in America that are uprising, like they can't keep a lid on it. Like yeah. it's it's coming. I, I think.
1: What do you well, think? Well, because you know, if you if you topple the government, you have to replace it with something. Sure. Hmm. There's a song that I wrote. Now I'll share it with you later. I'll, yeah, I'd uh, love to hear. it. If you want, I could I could put the I could yeah. put it in this on the chat in case. That'd be awesome. Give me a second. Uh, let me put it on the chat right here. So, on uh, there are there is an EP that I released a while back, and there's a song on there that's called "The New World Order," right? Okay. <laughs> and there's a line in the in the, in the song where I say, uh, "I'm not talking about some conspiracy," and I'm not saying the answer will set you free because <laughs> that's kind of what you're saying. It's like, okay, even if you were to destroy, let's say, let's say we take over the, the government, okay, let's say you, me, and a whole mess of yahoos go up there to the White House and tear everything down, and now we're, you know, holding up the <laughs> you know, the right. American flag, and we took over. It's said like, okay, now who's in charge? You know, and at what point, how long do you think it'll be before the fighting begins? Probably not right. very long. Right. And so, you know, it's going to be chaos, and basically we're going to break into pieces where this, you know, everything's going to be warlords here, warlords there, and it's just going to be a mess. So on the one hand, okay, the government needs to be the one to keep stability. And on the other hand, they can't be the one to stoke the fires that are screwing everything up either. I mean, you're in power, dude. You're in power. It's like you don't need us to, to be fighting with each other, killing each other on the street for you to stay in power. You are already in power, you know? They I, I might d- need that, though. Like how – What? Like
0: look at the the wedge of division that's placed between man woman gay straight black white like any kind of division you could think of there's a wedge that's being shoved down people's throats because they don't want they don't want the gay guy to stand arm in arm they don't want the gay the gay guy to stand arm in arm with the redneck in his trailer and be like you know what we don't like you guys up here and we both think that you guys are the problem so the yeah. more they can divide people on small issues, it's the old strategy of divide and conquer, sure. and it's it's just being shoved out through the airways at a level that is, you know, threatening my ears. It's like it's so loud. It's obvious. It's so ridiculous. It's obvious. If people could just stop for a minute and go, oh,
1: we're on the same team. Yeah, us. We're all getting screwed over here. Let's let's yeah. go
0: figure this thing out.
1: No, yeah, you're one hundred percent right. But here's the thing. Okay, that's hard to navigate when you're a, a when you're a media creator. <laughs> it's hard to navigate that. Yeah. You know, because, you know, on the one hand, it's okay. I have my political views. Of course I do. I don't, I don't always voice them publicly only because it's none of your damn business. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. Number two, I know how the political divide is in this country. Okay. And so I, I really want to just, I just want to create media. I want to create films. I want to create stories that I think people will enjoy. I mean, it's not going to matter to anyone Excuse me. It's not going to matter to anyone, you know, how I feel about X, Y, Z politics. I I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just some guy like I don't make those decisions. Right. I don't I'm not the one influencing that. So when the hatred gets toward gets pointed towards an individual, I think that's where you've, you've committed a very bad atrocity to humanity in the name of humanity. You know, mm. that's a word that I use a lot in the show. It's a humanity. It's, we're doing this for humanity. Right. You know, we need to kill 18 million people <laughs> in this town for humanity's sake. And that's that's the absurdity of this king in this story. I absolutely love this character. I I, I I love the character for what he is. You know, he's an evil, crazed, insane individual. He's an insane individual. And I'm not saying I love this. This character because he goes around and kills millions of people. I'm saying that I love this character because he's so absurd. Right? <laughs> it's, right. It's people hard. continue to follow him in spite of his absurdity. Yeah. And I, and that's really kind of the motif of what's going on in this world. And I think as a as a as an artist, whether you're a musician, whether you're a writer, whether you're a digital creator, YouTuber, mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, there is a plethora of material to work with i think that's why some youtubers have made themselves rich because there's just so much to talk about yeah talk about anything and you'll have millions of people that are interested in that you can talk about anything and have you know on either side and and you'll have a whole legion of people but see that stratification is not what's going to unify us you know it's quite the opposite And, and, and that glory of saying yeah you know you can you can make a, a right-wing channel or you can make a left-wing <laughs> channel and boom, we're going to make all this money. Great for you, man, but you've just done a disservice to society. <laughs> but, you know, who can, who can blame them? I mean, you can call them a grifter if you want um, you could, or you can t- call them an opportunist. Uh, you call yeah. them an entrepreneur. Call them whatever yeah. you want to call them. It's not their fault that the country is the way that it is. I mean, maybe they have they've kind of ride the wave you know, I, I don't I sympathize with YouTubers, even though even if they're on opposite ends of, of the spectrum for me politically, yeah. because at least at least they're doing they're making an honest living. You know, they're out yes. there. They're pushing their content, whatever it is. And people are watching it. People are buying their merchandise. People are doing all the super chats. People are doing all the, you know, the GoFundMes or they're doing the Patreons. And by the way, I have a Patreon, too. You know, maybe people are interested in that. But Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. On for a King of Silas, man. It's expensive putting these products together, man. It is. You know? And so it's not I, look, I make a pretty decent living. I don't need to make a I don't need to make money from the King of Silas to pay any of my bills. That's not why I'm I'm doing it. But I know that there are a lot of people that do. That they have their products, they have their shows, and they're making their money off of that. And that's great for them, man. That's a, that's a blessing, really. Um but there is definitely a lot of material to work with. And, and you know, the, the government makes it easy because they're, I mean, they keep pushing these ridiculous things. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Pushing ridiculous policies. You have a, we have a president who has, he's riddled with all kinds of problems. I mean, anybody could see that. Um, whether you're, whether you're for him or against him, you can't deny <laughs> that we have issues, you know? And so that's where we are. I don't, I don't think if someone tried to write
0: you you can make the argument for the last two presidents. I, I, I think that as an artist and as a writer, if you tried to write those two presidents in charge of the United States, people would have laughed. I'm like, what is this, some kind of crazy comedy? You can't have that guy But a That would never happen. But <laughs> like the reality is stranger than fiction, right? It's yeah. It's kind of fascinating to think about from that point of view.
1: It used to be politics was entertainment. Yeah, yeah. That's why you had actors and reality show stars – become presidents because, (laughs) because of entertainment, because the entertainment factor, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think, I think, you know, over the last two election cycles, we've really stopped making this about entertainment and it's, it's really become something very ugly and I'm, I'm really quite concerned, but uh, at the same time, it's, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm just going to keep producing stuff that's down the middle because that's just how I roll. You know that's just the way i am i'm i'm i've never been one to to produce anything and i know people have accused me of stuff but uh you can accuse me all you want until you show me you know, until you give me okay i fe- i confess i'm not going to do that because i know how i think about this stuff way too much mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to get me uh go ahead and try um <laughs> that's just how i am as a creator because i'm i'm careful like shakespeare was i don't think the times now are any different than they were for him in his time. You know, he was somebody who, in spite of his fame, in spite of his his talent, his, his genius, he didn't make any money, man. He was poor until the very end. It wasn't until the very end that he actually made something. But through the duration of, of his of his you know you know of his time writing as a playwright, the dude could barely scrape by, you know. I mean, relatively speaking. But any, you know, that's that's the thing that I admire about Shakespeare. I, I kind of see myself as, a, you know, like I try to emulate him. And, and even my life, I think, is a lot like him in that way. And he was kind of a, he was kind of a reject. He didn't go to any of the big schools. That was one of the big swipes on him was that he, he didn't go to an, any one of the elite schools, you know. And so all the other playwrights at the time, that's uh, like saying, "Well, I went to Harvard, and I went to Stanford, and I went to Yale. Mm-hmm. Oh, where'd you go? What community college did you go to?" Oh, yeah. let's get him out of here. <laughs> that's how it were to him, because mm-hmm. that's what it was. You know, he was like down here, and so he proved them all wrong. He was a genius, you know, and he wrote the best plays that ever were written. And I you mean, know, some people want to debate that. Let them debate it, but. I believe that it was him. He wrote all that stuff. I believe that. And because the style, I mean, I know, I look, I, te- I, I analyzed everything. Okay. It's just like everyone else part of my, you know, undergrad studies, but anyway, neither here nor there, it is what it is. Um, I find that there's, there's a lot of parallel between modern times and his time, you know, if not me, maybe there's another Shakespeare out there that will, that'll come, come about and be that next Shakespeare, you know?
0: Yeah. I hope there's a, I hope that that message of the message of, you know, you don't have to go a lot of times, the most influential people that come up with the greatest decisions were not people that went to a school, the most creative and talented people were people that had lived experience and then translated that experience into something for society. And it seems counterproductive and almost obtuse to think that someone who went to school for 25 years could actually come out and never do anything because they're handicapped in a way. It's like they have failed to launch. They've sat in a classroom and listened to other people's opinions about how the world works instead of going out and beginning to understand for themselves how the world works whether you're Shakespeare or whether you're JV Torres or George Monty or any number of men or women who have got up and maybe weren't handed a silver spoon in their life. I, I think that the person who goes out there and tries to create something, if you work hard enough at it, there's no reason why you can't become at the very top of your field. There's no reason why you can't become the very best person in that field. And sometimes well, I, I, I just wish people would understand that maybe – all given every if you're given everything, you're kind of handicapped, man. Is that yeah. do you think that's accurate?
1: I think it's very accurate, but here's another caveat: okay. is okay. now you have AI enter the arena, and writers okay. that are using AI to enhance their work, or at least mm-hmm. get things started. And I'm guilty of it too, but I only use AI writing for like you know business emails or something like that, right? Emails, the, the it, it's not gonna like I don't think on that. I don't think like that. And so like, I remember I, I did this email recently, and I sent it to one of my coworkers. And was like, did you write this or did you have AI write it? I'm like, uh, I did AI. She says, yeah, I kind of figured it, it did not sound like you at all. It does not how you are. I'm like, yeah, I know it's not, but you know when you're when you're in the when you're in writing something that's supposed to be, you know, homogenized and bland and really error-free of anything that could be remotely taken out of context, I think AI is a, is a good tool for that. But if you want to use AI to help you write stories or to help you any in, the, in that realm, um, you're, you're, you're not a writer, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not a writer. If you have to use AI to help you with that, you're not a writer. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I would say, you know, maybe use AI for editing. Yeah, that's a game changer. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I make grammatical mistakes just like anyone else does. I spell things wrong all the time too. So, I mean, to have an AI do the editing, I think, is a very powerful and time-efficient type of tool, you know, because you can save yourself a lot of time and, and embarrassment. I remember the first run of my book that I published years ago, and somebody found a typo, and I was like, <gasps> When I look on a page, I'm like, oh, my God, it is one there. God. And then I had to go back and fix it, and I do a whole new run, <laughs> I had to, I had a whole new batch of them. So, you know, in that regard, I guess an AI would be good because you can catch things that you're just going to overlook them, no matter how meticulous you are. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty meticulous, but clearly I wasn't that meticulous because some of them got by me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm kind of on the fence with like the chat GPT on some, on some levels, it just seems like Wikipedia to me. Like, it's not really that much different. Like, yeah, you can look stuff up and you can get answers and it just kind of spits it back to you. And on some level, I think the people that are really freaking out about chat GPT or AI are the people whose jobs are not really that important. Like, you know, for a long time we talked about, hey man, uh they're gonna have these self-driving trucks, and like people are gonna be out of business. And <laughs> you know, all these yeah, like all these truck drivers, oh no. And now you have like, hey, AI is gonna take away doctors, hey, AI is gonna take away this, and and now yeah. those people are just having their moment, like, oh, this yeah, existential if, crisis.
1: If you're gonna have AI take over TT, man, have at it, okay? If you wanna deal with those little guys, go right on ahead. Let them throw spitballs at you. <laughs> <laughs> the robots are. Stop throwing spitballs at me! <laughs> You're not correct. This is not good behavior. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Do that. I'm sure kids will have a field day with that robot.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and I, <laughs> on some level, I think it presents a lot of possibilities. Like if we can have AI find ways in order to mechanize the workforce. Like if you look at Amazon right now, they have all of these. They have all of these um, sort of um, you know. Warehouses, they have robots that go and they do the things of all these employees. And there's all this talk about, hey, robots could take the jobs. Everybody, perfect. Why don't we just charge every robot at every corporation a uh, payroll tax? Now we don't have yeah. to do it anymore. And that payroll yeah. tax goes into, you know, like a a, a freedom dividend because it's everybody built it. We all paid for that technology. So, I, like, I think I that you. that is also the push for AI. You know, like people like, tripping out. Like they don't want it. Yeah. What do you got? You ready? How about we? Yeah, let's hear it.
1: Put AI in politics. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Representing the Second District of.
0: <laughs> is yeah. this a
1: Program, you know, and have him all spit out all the all the right things to do and all the right things to say. You can't corrupt him. He's a he's a program. You yeah. Can't bribe them. You can't. Why don't we have AI lawyers know? and AI judges? I'm Everybody the gets.
0: To, yeah. Equal justice under the law for the first time ever.
1: Imagine, imagine if AI was in charge and put put in charge of the government you wouldn't have to worry about corruption because it's an AI program it's not corruptible but what if about they, the people that are in charge of it wouldn't oh, they be like hey politicians are in DC let's replace them with AI see how they like it yeah I don't, but there's that, no re- that poses a, a completely different question like can you trust an AI to govern? If you can trust an AI to do an operation on a human body with your life, if you can trust an AI to to drive your car, could you trust can you trust an AI to govern?
0: Yeah well I think you could trust an AI f- to um, bring clarity. I think that you can um, uncover things like you can, everything could be out in the open and when you do that you take away the corruption right if, if you have transparency, you don't have corruption. And if you, everyone can see the algorithm, then guess what? All those politicians go home.
1: See, here's the thing, though. The AI has to be self-sufficient. It cannot be connected to Apple or some other big mm-hmm. Microsoft company. You can't have Bill Gates get his dirty little hands on that AI. It has to be free of that corruption because the moment right. you, you let corporations tap into that AI, yeah, it is now corrupted. Right. It has to be completely separate from everything. Yeah. And so, okay. This is going to be. This is going to be the self, self sufficient. You know, as not sentient because I think that would be horrible. <laughs> That's a horror story right there. But if you had one that was self sufficient, that could make decisions based on you know data, based on uh, efficiency, based on you know um, what we have available to us in our in our um, coffers. You know, whether at the state or national level, what. You know, I mean, all the things that politicians are supposed to do and take all the rhetoric out, take all the the, take all the politics out of it, take all the ideology out of it and say, this is going to be how we're going to govern. This is the thing we've all elected. This is going to we've elected this AI to govern. Could you do it? Would you be comfortable with that? I'm asking you. Well, I think that's what's
0: coming down the pipe. I think that's what's called a smart city. And I think that what you're seeing right now is people desperately struggling to be in charge of the AI. Because while the AI is uncorruptible, the person programming the AI is not. And like you said, is it a Microsoft AI or is it an Apple AI? If you look at some of the cities in China where you have your... You know, you have your uh, your digital credit score, your digital passport. Yeah. Like those things are already here. We already have them somewhat here in our country. It's just right. who's going to be in charge of the power, right? Sure,
1: but here's the thing. I mean, the AI the AI has to be able to to um, make decisions and also learn from those. It has to constantly be evolving. And so, if we're saying, look, okay, when you when you first began. This new new administration. <laughs> when you first began your administration, these were the problems. But our problems have now. We now have different problems. You need to you need to adjust to those problems, okay? And we need to we need to take these matters into consideration. And so it has to be able to be. It has to it has to have some kind of part to it where the, the people vote on something. Right? Let's say okay, well, we want to build we want to restructure this this bridge. Okay. And we want to use public funds for X, Y, Z. Well, the, the, that has to, there has to be a mechanism where the AI considers the public, the public desire, you know, and it has to have like, because there's no elections anymore, but it has to have like this free flowing of ideas where the public says, you know, we want X, Y, Z. So you need to be able to allocate funds for these things. You need to be able to set out your robot construction people to do X, Y, Z. And so, you know, because these are these may not matter at the national level, but they might matter at the municipal level, you know, at the city level. Yeah, I I think <clears throat> and, and you know that's and the the sheriff in town is gonna have to have to you know check with the AI about ex you know about funding for you know new equipment or a new armored car or something, because this is how corruption happens. Yeah, yeah, you know? this is how corruption happens because they right now is all this greasing the palm, it's you know oh, we got a big contract coming, boy. Let's get, get, get <laughs> in our pockets here, boy. So, what happens in the back alleys or in the you know in the in the hills and it goes on up the hill. It goes all the way up to Capitol Hill. Yeah, when you
0: say it like that, I I don't think AI will ever get rid of corruption because it's it's the human component. Like we're gonna we're gonna code corruption right into those machines, you know, sure. and it's going to be I I, I think that if I could pen back and and see what's happening on some level is this idea that our economic system has failed yet again, and they need a crisis. They need everything to fail. And they're going to come in with the promise of AI. Hey, look what AI is going to do, but really (laughs) they're just resetting everything so that the same people in charge can continue to collect the same paycheck for doing absolutely nothing. And like, if you go back to Shakespeare, if we go back to Robespierre, you know, (laughs) I think that there's a reckoning coming, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what it is it's it's coming so look I, I i think it's coming and i think the people up top are panicking because there's no way out and that's why you see people crime families being put in charge of governments that aren't hiding stuff because the people yeah. that are in charge right now are expendable yeah. and the real people pulling the strings like put that guy in charge he's a dummy i don't care if he dies right you
1: know, you're, yeah. you're seeing the positions being laid out but this has always been the case. Agreed. You go Agreed. all the way down the line, all the presidents before this yeah. one, yeah. With the exception of one. <laughs> I think that's probably why he's always under investigation or indictments because <laughs> he's not part of that clan. Yeah. But if he, but but you know, if you go further down the line, you know, the Bushes and the Clintons, and you know, on down the line, there was definitely a lot of people pulling the strings, man. And that's just the way it's always been. And and that's yeah. that's that's the sad truth. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because I think the country has has slowly gone down this path, and now we're 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 not able to get into reverse. We're not able to to make an adjustment without, you know, a massive backlash. <laughs> and that's not the way it's always been. That's not the way I remember it. I'm pretty yeah. sure if you think back to when you were a much younger man. Um, I don't remember it being this way, man. I don't. I mean, yeah, you had your people that are like Gary yeah, Reagan, you know, <laughs> senile old man. It was okay to say Reagan was a senile old man, but it's not okay to say it now. Yeah, that seems weird to me. Like that seems weird to me. Like yeah. why? Can't, why can't you say that? I think it's obvious. I mean,
0: I. I mean, and maybe you know what? Maybe what we're looking at, JV maybe what we're looking at is progress maybe what we're looking at is transparency slowly being peeled back until people can no longer ignore it and it has to get worse before it gets better and and maybe what we're doing maybe by the individuals dropping out of corporate structures and trying to create their own channels create their own product create their own brand regardless of the monetary gain or loss you yeah. know they had this thing called the great resignation here you and I are two guys that are you know, having a great time learning, teaching, yeah. trying to become the best version of ourselves. And sure. in doing so, we're teaching our kids that. So maybe we're in the process of creating a better world right now. And this is what it looks like. Maybe we're going to let that old shell of a government be stripped away like the chrysalis of a caterpillar. And maybe we're emerging as a new form right now.
1: I Maybe. I hope so. I hope <laughs> you're right. I mean, having a, a free flow of exchange of ideas is, is, is healthy. It's yeah. not. Bad, it's not a bad thing. It's healthy, uh, whether you agree with one person or another. I remember, you know, a long time ago. I mean, having people that I really did not agree with politically, but we were friends, and we could talk about these things, and we didn't get angry at each other. We just kind of laughed it off. It's like, yeah, well, you know, how it is. It's the way it is, you know. And let's go get yeah. a beer, you know. And that's <laughs> yeah. But now. Now, for whatever reasons, if you say something and somebody's like on the opposite end, it becomes a heated argument where it becomes mad, you know, becomes like something like infectious in your brain. And all of a sudden you you want to tear that person apart or that person wants to tear you apart. I can't explain it. I mean, I personally don't I I laugh at some I have a friend that I talked to recently and he just he got so like blustered and so like angry. I'm like, why are you angry, dude? Yeah, like. I'm not in charge of anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's not me. Yeah, I'm your friend. Why are you getting mad at me? So yeah, because you question something just because you're like I'm cynical. Okay, if you haven't noticed that by (laughs) now, I'm pretty cynical. I'm you know I I I look at the I look at the world. I look at my country. I look at my city, and I'm just I I kind of just chuckle. It's like man, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) You know, can't you get it right once? I mean yeah. you can get it right once, just once. Right. You know? That's where we are. And it's like, no, no, man. We 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 just we have to constantly just say, and I and I don't mean that all my I I don't keep friends around me that are like that. Okay. Yeah. My friends that are in my close circle are, are the coolest dudes you're ever gonna meet. These guys hang with me and they're my brothers to the end. You know, I, I love them no matter what they because we know. What the what the line is? You know, we we're talking about at the beginning of this conversation. That line. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: that line is they they respect that line, and I respect theirs, and we are brothers to the end because because of that. And I think society needs that. Society needs to be, needs to come to that point where you respect people's lines, like you don't cross it. Okay, and just because there's a line there doesn't mean you get to throw something over the line. <laughs> crossing the line doesn't mean like necessarily where you just, oh, I didn't step over the line. Oh, no, you didn't. You just threw something at me. <laughs> that's yeah. crossing the line, man. You know, yeah. so I, I think that's where people get it twisted because you say something or because, you know, you make you, you this backhanded insult, like somehow that's not crossing the line. It absolutely is. When you When you have a line, it's like you, you just don't go there, man. You just don't go there. Don't ask me about it. Don't, let's not talk about it. Let's go around it. Let's go somewhere else. Let's talk about something else because I like you, you know? So, yeah. If people would just were just more respectful in that regard. I think we'd be better off. But I don't know what it is, why people just have a hard time with that. Like they have to know. And then once they do know, they have to like change you. I'm like, you're not going to change me, man. Don't you get it? <laughs> Don't you get it? You're not gonna change me. Like I am who I am. You are who you are. And I either we're either gonna jive or we're not.
0: Yeah, it seems like the the idea that um the idea that uh, we can not that we can't have any sort of civil discourse, you know, is such an interesting wow. thing to me. That's like such an
1: ancient idea now.
0: I know, like w- what's wrong? You know, sometimes I watch just some really good debates that, like, um, that I'll watch sometimes, and I'm always like, "Wow!" Even though they may start off contentious, you know, they have a moderator, and the people both get to put their sides out, and you know, it's it's fascinating to me to kind of see that happen. Like, what a great way to solve a problem is like, let's get the best people from both sides and have a debate, and and have a respectful debate, and have one person bring up a point, and have another counterpoint. Like, I think that the world in which we live is grown up enough intelligent enough and strong enough to have that And what a beautiful world it would be if instead of having like sunday you know i love sports but i mean what if we had a debate before the super bowl or what if we had a super bowl of debates where we brought together these ideas and in some ways you can see the this this debate that rogan's trying to orchestrate between like rfk and some scientist over here like imagine two people coming together and talking about their differences rather than using ad hominem attacks to fight each other well because
1: the the doctor you're referring to uh, i think it's dr i want to say holtz or something like that something like that yeah uh he's he, he he rogan look joe rogan is an absolute pro and he's a beast sure. he, and he right. knows what he's doing he knows that guy is not going to debate robert, yeah. robert f kennedy because robert f kennedy we can already look at his 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 um what his point of view was and we know that he was right on okay and we can look at that guy holtz or whatever his name is and we know he was dead wrong yeah. So like, how are you going to have this debate? And I know why Rogan wants to do it, because he basically wants to grill this guy, you know, and I get it. And I know why he doesn't want to go on his program, because he doesn't want to get grilled because he can't defend himself. Okay, but he could. Better, admit he's wrong, okay. and it'd be better, you know. But they won't even like. No one will admit they're wrong. Like that's so crazy to me. Yeah, I'm like, your dude. If he, look, okay, I would. I would be of the mindset of this look because Rogan even put up money. I think, right? <laughs> it's like I think I'll it's up pay, to one point five million dollars, whatever charity you want. I'll put x x amount yeah. of dollars. Yeah. and I think it even went up into the millions. I think. Right? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. And the guy still wouldn't do it. This is what I mean. Like you're you're so hell bent on. Not admitting you're wrong, that you're willing to you're willing to sacrifice some real good that could come out of this. Like, yeah. okay, just, just humble yourself for this yeah. one thing. Yes, just yeah. humble yourself for this one thing for this charitable cause. Let these let this charity get this in these people who need that help or whatever that's going to go to. That your humility will have contributed to that cause, and you take the L, man. Take the L. It's worth it. But he Yeah, won't selfish. Yeah. We have a very selfish. We have a selfish society. That's what we do. We just, you are just self, selfish. I mean, how else can you? How else? Can, look, if I'm wrong about something, and somebody says, "Yo, yeah, come on to your debate with us, and we'll put up X, Y, Z to your charity." And I know I'm wrong, and I know I'm going to get grilled, but hey, it's for a good cause. I mean, people used to box for that. Yeah, and maybe
0: you learn something.
1: Maybe you go, well, you know what? Yeah. I'm I mean, wrong, I, and he here's why I thought this. this. I'm gonna take it on the chin, but you know I'm gonna yeah. get stretched too. And maybe at the end of the day, I'll I'll be like you know I'll humble myself and say and, and take the humility, and be like okay you know I learned something after after all is said and done. I was I can admit now that I was wrong. My mind has changed, yeah. and let's go forward. You know, and now the charity gets their money. I would do that because it's not about me at that point. But this guy makes it about himself. It's <laughs> all about him and his little. Goons, and they're, they're uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 to the, for the life of me, I just can't figure it out. The opportunity to make over a million dollars for
0: a cause that you get to choose and care about, and on top of that, potentially become a turning point for a sickened society when yeah. you say something along the lines of, Now let's work together. Like, if that could be a game changer for society, he's yeah. like, Nope, I don't want to do it. Like that's just a stubborn child who refuses yeah, to do anything. That's you know, a child,
1: and I mean, so I, crazy. I have no respect for this guy. I don't care if he has a dr in front of his name. Right, it's crazy. Just, <laughs> listen, I've had my run-ins with drs in my life, and a lot of them are fools. Okay, <laughs> just because you can open up somebody's body that doesn't mean you're not you're not prone to be a fool. No, well, I, I think yeah. I think we
0: all make the mistake of just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at everything. Right,
1: right? Yeah. And you know uh, that's that's an unfortunate turn of events with with that particular situation because I think that person has been on Joe Rogan's show before. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, yeah. I mean, he's he's had his platform and yeah. now he can be a chicken. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. We'll move on. <laughs> yeah.
0: JV, I love our conversation right now. My 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 baby girl is sick and she's got a stomach ache, and I got to go. I got to take care of priority number one, which I is know, my family, time flies, bro. Time I flies. know, but I feel like we didn't even really get to. We didn't even really get to hit on so many. I got like four pages of notes here, and I think we went through half of them, maybe. But so <laughs> well, we can have it. you come back. Yeah, please, please. Yeah.
1: But be- before I let you go, JV, where can people find you? What do you got coming up, man? What are you excited about? Okay, so I'm working on the first King of Silas feature film. It's called okay. Eviscerate. Um, we are not done filming yet. We're going to be done filming over the summer. My goal is to have it in the film. I would like, I'm going to probably go straight to Tubi. I'm not going to do film festivals with this one. The other reason why I haven't released my other films is because they're in film festivals, Mm -hmm. but once October rolls around, they'll be free from that. And I'm going to go on Tubi. So I think this one's going to be one. Once I complete this film, I'm going to go straight to stream and then people can watch it right on the streaming platform. Um, And then I'm gonna move on to other projects. Uh, King of Silas, the the, the actual series is coming to an end. The sixth season is the final season for the story. However, we are gonna do a season seven because it's not a prequel. We're we're just gonna chronicle the life of one of the characters and kind of go from the beginning of this like season one and then just go all the way to the end. So it'll be like an abbreviated um, timeline for her, for that character. It's gonna be based on the princess. And uh, I don't know if we're going to do a season. We talked about maybe doing a season eight down the road of, of doing that same thing for a different character. It depends. You know, um, I'm going to try to finish the novel for this story. Uh, there's, the story. The novel is the uh, the prequel. It's What happens before he becomes King, which is really like a lot of it's, I, I really studied Tom Clancy for this one, you know, and I nice. really wanted to do something that was action packed and very like Patriot games type. So, that's what you can expect from the the King of Silas novel. I will probably have that one out later this year as well. Um, but really right now, just I would just want to hear people uh you know getting on the the getting on the, the podcast and listening to King of Silas and sharing that because it's a fascinating story and i think it, it needs to get more traction and get more people to to listen to it because it's, it's <laughs> you're going to you're going to find those points like oh i see he brought this up i'm like no that was before that happened it just you know cuz the timeline is what it is but it's it's for me that's that's where a lot of my inspiration right now for pers- for the other projects come from they're all coming from that source material Yeah. No, it's
0: amazing. I I would recommend everybody uh, get familiar with your work, man. I I love what you're doing. And um, I got to get you back so we can talk more about all of the projects coming up. But yeah, go down. Everybody who's listening to this, check out the show notes, check out JV, check out his projects. I hope you got a little taste of who he is, why he does the things that he does. And I, I know get, for a fact if you, if I you check get out- to talk, I didn't
1: even get to talk about the Miseducation Project. There's other podcasts mm-hmm. I do where I'm, I talk with other educators and we talk about the education system, and it gets really good, man. Like these people – because I, I – I'm like the resident guy in the middle. I'm the I'm the okay. moderate in this, right? And right. You're least, when you're a moderate, you might as well be a right wing extremist, right? Totally. So it's like uh, that's that's the angle that I take in that in that program, and it it gets fiery at times, man. It gets. I bet. they they want to go this route. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I put them on the I put them on their heels, and like you got to defend your position. So that podcast is a good one for me it's right up my alley it's education it's it's for it's for the betterment of our youth and yeah. i think everyone should check that out this education project
0: yeah that sounds like a fascinating one i'm looking forward to digging into myself man and yeah. so well jv thank you so much for today i really appreciate your time um i'm really thankful to check out the final season of king salat Is Sal- i say it I'm, wrong <laughs> thank you so much my <laughs> tongue's all jacked up you
1: always butcher
0: it. it's okay yeah yeah, yeah. But I, I love. I, I just put the A in front of it. It's King Silas. Okay, perfect. Yeah. You no, know, it's so funny.
1: There's a there's a director here, and I'll, I'll uh, we'll, we'll close it up after this. He's a, there's a, dra- a theater director here. Yeah. Right. And his name is Noah, and his last name is Silas. Right. <laughs> and so I, I was poking fun at him, but he had no idea why. Because right. if, if you say your name, it says Noah Silas, <laughs> and he's like, I don't get it. I'm like, so I sent him a link of the show. And then he typed, and it was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway.
0: Again, no coincidences. See, now we're at, back into the beginning of the conversation.
1: Yeah. Anyway, this is a great conversation. I'm so glad you had me on. And yeah. Hopefully, one day, you can have me back. I'll be I'll be more than delighted to come on here. And I'm going to send you the audio for this that I took on my end so you can have a much crisper audio for me. Perfect. Perfect. You're going to put this on your podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'll upload it.
0: I'm sorry, say that part again. I'm, I lost you right there. Yeah,
1: and then when you when you when you do have that, send me the link, and then I'll I'll send that out through all my social media as well. Perfect, cool. my friend.
0: So hang on one second. I'm gonna talk to you real briefly afterwards, but uh, I'm gonna hang up with the audience here. So, sure. ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Great show, great guest. Check out everything he's got going. I promise you'll be stoked about it. And um, that's all we got for today.